Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome back to Remap Sports and Sports Adjacent Podcast that sets out to disprove the notion that people with lives dedicated to pixels jumping across the screen can't also unhealthily be interested in what nerds condescendingly refer to sports ball every Super Bowl. Rob, I start off every episode with a question. If the goddamn Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl during the worst year in the Mahomes era, what the hell is everyone else supposed to do for the next 10 years? I'm pausing because I don't have a good answer. Uh, <laughs> That is, you know, that was an alarming, if, if, if your hope, if you're starting to get a little bored of like Mahomes excellence and KC being reliably, also, it kind of feels like an NBA team in some ways from the standpoint of like, it feels like you could have written them off during the regular season. They don't have it this year. Oh, the switch flipped. And now for the like six weeks, it's going to matter. Uh, they're going to be, they're going to be the team to beat. But yeah, I think, um, I think everyone is in a great deal of trouble because Mahomes appears to be able to make whatever work. Well, the closest someone got to also losing to Patrick Mahomes this year is Giant Bombs, Jeff Grubb, who roots for despairs for the Detroit Lions. Jeff, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, this is uh, this is fun. Uh, it, it is kind of if Mahomes was, or if Tom Brady's not winning now, it's Mahomes, and that's just been the NFL. It's like oh, the the, the most the league with the most parity in the world always just comes down to one of two guys winning it. Well, I'll say this though, it's way more fun when Mahomes is doing it. Like I oh, think yes. the, the oh, thing yeah. you can't discount is like Mahomes and Andy Reid are a, make for much more exciting, much more entertaining football than Brady and Bill Belichick like the yep. the whole like uh Bill Belichick I'm going to take away the thing you're best at and then the next thing you're good like every coach does this every team does this but the, the sum of fact was Belichick was so good his greatness was measured in how boring could the games be uh, <laughs> and that is and that is like how that like this is why nobody really loved that Patriots team why it wasn't like it didn't have the the, the feel of a Jordan era because everyone kind of felt like you can't keep getting it you can't keep playing like such uninspired football and winning. You can't really make that argument with, with Mahomes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like even the struggling season where maybe Andy Reid has to, you know, throttle back on some of the stuff he normally does, he still dials up enough magic that he's like fun to watch. But the big thing is the fact that like Mahomes will do whatever it takes and become a different 
you know, a different sort of player depending on what is required of him. Yep. I, I never doubted that, that Mahomes was going to win that Super Bowl. As soon as that was like, okay, that's the matchup. Patrick Mahomes is winning uh, and, and really felt that way throughout the playoffs. They didn't have the toughest run up to the playoffs. I mean, the Bills game was, seems like that was definitely their biggest challenge. And that was one that could have easily gone the other way, obviously. But uh, uh, yeah, it, other than that, it's like, okay, yeah, they're, they're just kind of getting the Super Bowl. So it felt like they were stumbling in in some ways. Yet now, once it got started, it's just Patrick Mahomes doing his thing. And that's what expect what I expected to happen did happen. Uh, so now Brady wasn't always deeply unlikable. There was a moment. I don't know if yeah. it was a moment or an era or just people get tired of a team. Like, but is if if Mahomes now what three three Super Bowl wins, uh, uh, four appearances in five years. Is like, can he was Jordan? I can't. Was Jordan disliked? Did people hate Jordan? I was in Chicago. Like, I can't be a judge of Michael Jordan. But it's like, no, everyone loved Michael Jordan. Did everyone not like Michael Jordan? He was very not, popular. But like, can Mahomes follow the, the 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 Jordan trajectory where you kind of, which I guess is maybe the closer contemporary for Mahomes is Steph Curry, right? Where like you can have a dynasty level success that is sustained. And everyone still thinks you're funny and likable and relatable, despite the fact that you are. Well, you're not relatable, but you might be funny and likable. Yeah, Jordan was always uh, likable, even outside of this. Like, it, I remember being a kid and everyone just kind of around me being like, man, I just wish he played for my team. Um, <laughs> and it, it, I think a big part of that is like the, the NBA at that time was coming out of a time when it was very competitive and anyone really felt they, like they could have won, won as long as you were willing to get in there and play physical. And so I think we just assumed like what Jordan is doing is so far above and beyond what everyone else has done. That's why this really feels magical. And what we're witnessing is magical. And most people, I think, really appreciated that. It's like in hindsight here a little bit, it feels a little bit different with where it's like uh, you, the, the league was changing at that time. And some of those superstars that like defined the era before that were aging and they didn't get necessarily replaced all that all that quickly. But as at, at that time, it really just felt like, oh, Jordan magic. And Mahomes is like, no one's going to be a Jordan ever again. The, the, the way we consume the media in sports is just so different that it's uh, even if you are a likable person, it's just you're not going to be able to replicate Jordan. Well, and like Jordan, in the modern media environment, uh, people would have been better known like kind of what a miserable bastard he was to be on the team with. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like that just would have been a good part point. of the story. I don't know if he would have also been tweeting it out. Uh, you know, it's, it's <laughs> oh, so man, hard to imagine been a being poster? in the age of Twitter. Like a Durant, like he would, I, he would have been on McAvee every week for sure. Yeah, <laughs> or, or like, or is he just like, like you know, commenting on highlights of like blown plays and like just like dragging, like, uh, like adding BJ Armstrong about like this is <laughs> this is why you don't get the ball more. Uh, you know, I I don't know if if that would be if that would be part of his profile, but I think at the time, like everyone just thought. His his media persona, the be like Mike, the the big happy Nike ad persona was was kind of the, the man. Mahomes uh, isn't a prick, uh, as far as anyone can tell, and it's funny. He's so not a prick that even when it, he is saying things that on paper feel like they are maybe the most like cruel like knifings of teammates. He genuinely means them when like a receiver drops a pass that like he should have had. 
And Mahomes is like, well, you know, it's kind of on me. I need to, I need to throw like easier balls. I need to make, I need to make sure that's like more catchable. And everyone saw that it was like the most catchable ball possible. <laughs> like Mahomes is still like out there doing that, and genuinely, then he adjust, he does. You you observably see, oh, he is throwing differently now. He's yep. not asking. He's even he's asking his receivers to do even less and finding a way to like maintain his level of play, while now like throwing them softballs and that is a like that's not that's not jordan uh no. i don't think jordan's <laughs> like if, like jordan's gonna scream you off the field jordan's closer uh, to rogers right in terms of personality and temperament like not necessarily the conspiracy theorist anti-vax rogers famously though yeah if you drop a pass you're not gonna see a ball from rogers for a while well, it's like I mean, I'm, a, I'm a hockey guy. It's like Mick, uh, Connor McDavid right now is one of the best players in the world over in Edmonton. And he plays so fast that there, you actually watch and you're like, I don't think very many people can actually play with him on his team. Like he's lucky. He's got Leon, Leon Dreisaitl and a few other guys that can actually keep up with him. Whereas like then you look over at uh, um, uh, uh, Bedard in Chicago mm-hmm. and you're like, anyone's going to be able to play with him. Anyone's going to be able to keep up and, and he's going to make everyone else uh, better. Now, I don't know if that's a conscious decision on Bedard's behalf, <laughs> to slow down, <laughs> just slow down. Right. But it's like, I think the great players are capable of like slowing down and doing things differently and, and getting their play, the players that are alongside them to be even better. Mahomes, I think, you know, very, very good at that. Uh, well, before we get to the the Super Bowl it's, itself, uh, Jeff, the reason we wanted to chat with you, the, the, something we've alluded to a couple of times when I've been on various Giant Bomb <laughs> videos, is our our shared despair for the NFC North teams Correct. that we cheer for. And as bad as it has been for the Bears at many points during my fandom, uh, buddy, you got me beat. Like, I can't sit here <laughs> and be like, wow, it sucks to be a Bears fan because, wow, it sucks worse or it has sucked worse to be a, a Lions fan. I have not had a parade for 0-16. Um, mm-hmm. Or uh, was it 16? It was 17 games now, right? And so it was 0-16. It was, yeah, but then it was 0-16, yes. It was 16 games, yes. Where where do the Lions start with you? Because we talk a lot about yeah. on, on this show about kind of how it's the Bears sports for us is a lot of generationally passed on. Like not something you picked. It's like family. It's just sort of this turd was at your doorstep and you learn <laughs> and you learn to love it. Uh, as the decades go on. So where where do the Lions enter your life? Yeah, I uh, I am someone who's who was born in the suburbs of Detroit. I grew up a 24 mile for people from that area. They'll know what that means. Um, and I, you know, my family, my my parents were not necessarily from Michigan, but my, my dad was the kind of sports fan that would mostly adopt the team uh, that uh, of the city he was in, especially for professional sports teams. Uh, he went to Miami of Ohio, but he would be like, we lived in Columbus. He's like, he's going to root for Ohio state and he's going to root for them big time. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, but I, I, I don't know something about like uh, being a kid in a sports city. I was like, I don't, I'm just, this is, these are my teams. And I just uh, built up a really strong loyalty early on. And then it doesn't hurt that throughout my entire childhood, it is Barry Sanders, just watching Barry Sanders play and being in awe of everything he did. Um, I, For me, that was like, oh, that's what football is supposed to be. So imagine my surprise when it's never been like that ever again. No one's ever played like Barry Sanders ever again. Uh, but at the time, it was like, okay, everything he, every time he gets the ball, it's going to be exciting. And sometimes he's going to lose two yards, and he's going to lose two yards, and he's going to lose two yards. And then he is going to make the jump off to the side and just burn everybody and do jukes you'll never, ever see again. 
And uh, it was it was so mesmerizing that it's like, well, fan for life. And, you know, one of my earliest sports memories, God, I remember um, Mike Tyson losing to Buster Douglas. And then maybe like not long after that, like like next earliest sports memory is the Detroit Lions losing to Washington in the first game of the season, having a great season and then losing to Washington in the NFC championship game. Uh, And it's like, okay, man, that's this is awesome. I'm on board. That's really tough. That was a tough team. They already lost to them. And then. Since then, it's been pretty much misery nonstop, including an 0 and 16 seasons. Seasons that were pretty close to going 0 and 16 as well. There was like <laughs> multiple, of those, multiple of those after the 0 and 16 season. So it's been rough. But a part of me is like, this is this is what being a fan is about. Like I'm a uh, yeah, I'm a Detroit Red Wings fan. They had they had 25 years of making the playoffs straight. If I'm gonna take that. I also need to take, well, I'm a Lions fan, so I'm not going to abandon them just because they're losing. And it feels like it's paid off. Uh, it feels like, hey, they found the promised land here a little bit. A big part of that for me is being a Lions fan. You guys will appreciate this as being NFC North team fans, uh, hating the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. beating the Green Bay Packers last season to keep them oh. out of the playoffs was one of the greatest sports moments of my entire life. You know what I, we didn't wa- do? That. We had the yeah. exact same setup script ready to go and um i i rob and i even tried to delude ourselves that it was possible yeah. like, oh come on like to getting the bears at the right time defense is coming on if justin fields is ever going to justify being here another season it's going to be this and we didn't do any of that <laughs> and it's and, and that's i mean that's the history of the nfc north is green bay is actually going to win in the end green bay is mm-hmm. actually going to make the playoffs on the on its uh season where it's a transitional period and it's and they're supposed to be reloading of course they're going to make the playoffs of course they are and that was good that was the story last year as well Aaron rod Aaron Rodgers is going to do it again the packers are going to do it again they're going to you know treat the the lions as a red carpet and so um when we won that game, a lot of Green Bay fa- Packers fans are like, you know, good job, little brother. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you're right. We, I am the little brother here. We beat you. This is more exciting to us than anything else. You're right. And I'm, I'm celebrating that. So being that kind of fan has been like uh, it, it has colored all the other stuff that's happened since then of them having this really great season and getting into the playoffs and getting to the NFC championship game and then, uh, you know, kind of dominating that game and then blowing it. And me, me being able to sit back and be like, that was great. That was awesome. And I kind of wouldn't change anything. Of course, I wish they would have won. But we get into that game, that NFC Championship game where they did implode. implode. Uh, they imploded for what I thought were mostly the right reasons. People want them to take the points. I get it. They got they changed the culture by saying, you know what? We're going to do things our way and we're going to be aggressive and we're going to go for it. And it, like, when is the right time to abandon that? Obviously, they missed that the right time. But I, I, I think I would have made all those same decisions. And I'm glad that they did. If they're going to lose. I'm glad they lost that way. Uh, you know, the 49ers never looked that great. They kind of just got some bounces, uh, some key plays, some key misses on defense from the Lions. And then you lose the game. It felt like, hey, that's football. So I think one of the things that I am curious about because – you know, with the the Lions, like it, like it was such a deep hole they were in uh, for for so many years that like genuinely it was a team you saw a couple times on the you know on the on the schedule right. and you didn't think about them uh, if you were a fan of another team too much. Whereas I'm intimately familiar with like the ups and downs of the Bears, right? And one of the things that like I think Patrick and I talk a lot about is 
and, and something I actually struggle with about like remaining a fan is that even when the bears are up, I never feel very good about the organization. Like they, they feel so complacent, so quick to let themselves off the hook. Uh, so eager to be like, this is good enough. Like why try to be better? Uh, why aren't you happy with the, the product we're putting out there on the field? And I only started to be on the Lions bandwagon around the time that Hard Knocks uh, came out uh, a couple sure. years ago with the, you know, showcasing, uh, you know, Dan Campbell, really, <laughs> in, in, in a lot of ways. But I am curious, like, in that long period of them being kind of a shitty team, uh, what... What what was the what was the story you told yourself about the team? Like what explained it, and then why? Like like why was the team so bad for so long in your view? And why stick? Why didn't that sort of discourage you from remaining a fan? Because for me, sometimes with the Bears, it's very close to being like, sure, I think I'm being held hostage by a family <laughs> that doesn't know how to run a football team. Like I'm rooting for for like shitty managers, effectively. And I'm curious, like. What was going on in Detroit for 20 years? Yeah, I mean, it is uh, it was a family that didn't know what they were doing. It's the, it's pretty much the same story. Uh, they and, you know, misplaced loyalties to GMs like Matt Millen, people that were like, man, I believe in this guy and, and we're going to give him a long rope and him giving the getting the longest rope possible as a GM and and seeing that. Crashing around the neck year. of an entire city. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's that long. And it was. um. And so the story we, you tell yourself then, the story we all told ourselves throughout that time is, well, maybe we can be loud enough to get them to fire Matt Millen. And clearly that was that was not working for a very long time uh, until that 0-16 season, I believe, which finally was able to, to, to – it had to get so bad. We had to hit rock bottom for them to change. And we hit rock bottom, and they did make a change. So it's like, okay – Maybe there is still some sanity in all this. Um, and, and then really, I think a lot of it comes down to when um, when Sheila uh, Ford Hamp, I think is, is her name, the, the new owner that yeah. took over from, you know, the new Ford family member uh, that is now running the team. Uh, she seems to have a pretty decent head on her shoulders uh, for this stuff. And um, bringing in Chris Spielman back uh, as like a, a, a as a um, first, I think he was just a, a counselor advisor and he was saying, OK, here's how you what you can do. Uh, to guide this team and Chris Spielman, legendary linebacker uh, for the Lions. Um, he's been around football ever since in a lot of ways. I think he coached some like there was like a, a women's flag football league. I think he coached that for a while. Like he's just a cool dude about, about football. They brought him back in and then it was like he, we've spotted some guys in the league that know what they're doing. And when they started like bringing in Brad Holmes, it's like, OK, this feels like this could be something new up. And, but, but before that, it was years and years and years of. We see what the problem is. The leadership of this team and the general manager really are pretty poor at spotting what this team needs and building from the inside out. Uh, they never built from the inside out. They got some really great talent here and there, uh, but the offensive line and the defensive line were le left to wither, and they always paid the price for that in the end. Um, that is the exact opposite of what they're doing now. So it's like it is possible for it to happen. After 30 years of, of, of just abject failure, though, and really before, you know, for a very long time before that as well, but for the last 30 years, 32 years since the last time they won a playoff game, uh, it was, you know, th th this, this is the one of the a couple of teams that have never been to the Super Bowl. It's they've never won an NFC championship or never won their, their conference championship game. And so maybe this is just our, our fate. Maybe this is our lot in life. Uh, 
Hadn't won the division since it was the NFC North. I mean, that was a... Never won the NFC North. Exactly. That, that like, blew right past me. And so, like, Rob reminded me of it. I was like, no. No, like... No, they can't the division be called NFC They had North. that one playoff game where they lost to Seattle in the Stafford era. Oh, they were a wild card. Oh, yep. fuck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, I mean, Stafford, uh, players like that, like that helps. Like uh, Megatron, th- that, that's really what helps get through all that. those periods is like, we usually do have really great players to watch. Matt Stafford, you talk about like not thinking about Detroit. Matt Stafford is, was a victim of that. A player that should have been considered among the elite in the NFL in a lot of ways. And a lot of people do. But for the most part, he's overlooked in terms of his overall, uh, what he's put together and his ability to come from behind. When when he won that Super Bowl and a lot of people are like, man, the Rams, what are they going to do? They got this this final drive. It's like, no, it's over. Matt Stafford's going to run it down the field and win this game. That's what he's always done in Detroit. He's going to do it with the Rams. And of course, that's how (laughs) how it played out. And so being able to like. We have these players that are trying hard and really care. A player like Matthew Stafford really seemed like he cared. Um, and so that helps anchor it. But clearly there's you know a lot of stuff rotten underneath all of that. And that was always difficult. Do you feel weird about the William C. Ford patch on the uniform? Because yes. like it's it's like, yeah, you know, this one's for, this, this is all for you, boss. But like it kind of seems like things started to turn around after he dies. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and other people start steering the ship. And like you lucked into wonder of wonders, I guess you lucked into a good rich air. Yes. Kind of seems like, Somehow. seems like the vibe, like, uh, Oh my God, the princess has got game. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. She, she at the very least listens to the people around her, which is not something you expect from an heiress. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I think there's a story of, her being in the room when they're do, do, when they're doing a draft and being like, don't you guys need a wide receiver? And then Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell being able to explain, no, no, we got we got uh, this guy from USC, Amon Ra St. Brown. He's later in there. We're going to get him. Don't worry about it. And her being like, v- like very tapped in, very understanding what they were saying, and then standing back once she like voiced her opinion as the owner of the team, like trusting these guys that she's put in charge and the people she's put in charge. God, I feel great about them. Brad Holmes, I'm a huge Brad Holmes fan, like as a GM. Like, I've never been a fan of a GM before. I guess Steve Eisenman of the Red Wings, but that's different. Uh, here with Brad Holmes, it's like this guy is just making moves. Uh, he had one of the best draft classes uh, that uh, kind of proved a lot of people wrong last year. Uh, two potential Rookie of the Year candidates. Um, and so uh, that felt good. And then Dan Campbell is the exact right coach for this team. Uh, the the culture needed to change and you needed someone that brings in when he's in the room, you want to adopt his culture. And, and so her being able to like spot these things and agree to them and make them happen, whether it's, you know, Chris Spielman helping her out or not, uh, her being able to give the green light to it. Uh, yeah. I feel much better about her than WCF and seeing that patch. I literally was thinking that in the last game, looking at that patch. I'm like, Oh, we don't need that thing anymore. <laughs> or hopefully, hopefully we won't have that going forward here pretty soon. Well, I think mean, that's fascinating about Campbell is he's a similar in stature, forward facing personality to like a Mike Vrabel, right? Like these mm-hmm. sort of like big, yes. he's football guy. And Campbell has that speak, right? But what's, and you know, everyone remembers that, you know, biting kneecaps is like one of these yep. like early, like he had these really like, I'm, I drink two like extra large Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> coffees, or what, you know, all these little <laughs> bits that were like, he was a caricature. And I think yep. that set an early tone. They're like, okay, maybe he's, like a funny meme, but does that mean he's a good coach? But like the difference that I've always appreciated about Campbell versus 
a Mike Vrabel, like who was the coach of the Titans before he was let go this past season. Not necessarily he's a bad coach, but like it's not like different generational meathead. Like it's emotional meatheads. Like I don't know yeah. how to describe them. Like Campbell cries. Like Campbell seems constantly. Like, yeah, like to a degree where it's like, okay, buddy, like, yeah, uh, okay. I, yeah. I love to, I, I'm in touch with my emotions, but like, yeah, like, hey, um, this is happening a lot. And I guess you, you know, you'd rather have a, a guy a little, uh, more, uh, uh, in touch with that than, than not. But I, I think that must allow him, he's an enormous looking, intimidating guy, but is also in touch with emotions and probably connects with players in a way that is different than, the Vrabels, the Belichicks of the world, like, which I don't think it's shocking that those coaches are at least out for a cycle because I think to a degree you have these generational shifts happening in approaches to coaching where you can't treat the players as though they're just laborers showing up to be on your football team. And I think Campbell really exemplifies the difference between your assumptions about a person based on how they look because he looks like a football player. He looks like a football coach. But when he talks and the way he expresses emotions betrays your assumptions about his image. Yeah. And, and like you, you say, you can't just treat him as laborers. You can't just treat him as millionaires either. These I think these players want to believe in, in a team. They want to believe that they are a family. They want to believe that everything they're doing is to uh, boost up the guy next to them. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that this is warrior talk that is the underpinning, uh, uh, you know, the, the sports psychology of a lot of team based sports. And they want someone that understands that and preaches it to them, but also understands that like isn't doesn't feel like they're he's just extracting that juice out of them. He like, no, you've been through it. And he empathizes with what you're going through. And you could see it because the emotions are right there on his face. They're always under the surface. And whenever he talks about you, he's about to cry because he loves you that much. <laughs> it's like, okay, I mean, God, I think I will have to go out and fight for this guy. And I, that's why that's why it's the, it's the coach that Detroit needed because it, it felt like before that, you know, you bring in all these uh, coordinators or whatever that. Patricia, uh, Patricia exemplifies this, yes. right? Like, like the, he's the, in many ways cut from a similar mold of like what we would call these types of coaches, but is right. the exact type of coach that is now out of style and frankly out of touch. Now, granted, yeah, I, I mean, it's the, 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 the Belichick industrial complex. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. was is the thing that is definitely out of, I mean, Josh McDaniels completely destroyed that. I think in a lot of ways, there's no, there's no Belichick coaching tree as it turns out. <laughs> no, not <laughs> except for Vrabel. Really. I think Vrabel comes out of the, the, the Belichick. Uh, yeah. How long was he in there though? I think I don't remember. I, like, I feel like Vrabel was not, Someone who grew up in the like, I think the problem I was thinking about this with Belichick a little bit. It's the. Like his success is partly that he has really good working relationships with his coaching staff, like, you know, coordinators, but they never learn to do the job independently of him. And it's not useful to him to have them do the job like they are. They're like. They're not complete coaches, right? They're like, you know, they, they fit with him. It's like a puzzle piece. And they only become effective when they're working with Bill Belichick because, like, their deficiencies and their gaps are the places where he slots in and together they're better. Like, it is not a there, – there's no a, apprenticeship happening there. Uh, and I don't think – I don't think it's for lack of trying. Like, he, he, he tried to – leverage Matt Patricia, you know, into, you know, keep that guy relevant in the league. What happened in Philly might've put paid to it. Uh, Josh McDaniels kept getting shots. Cause you go back to, you go back to new England and win, it's win. like, wow, it's working. 
this guy, this guy's really figured it out. And it's just, just zero ability to lead a team. Uh, but yep. yeah, like Dan Campbell's approach was so exciting for that reason. It was the ultimate, like, well, especially because, uh, and, and Patrick, I think this is like, you and I have, have argued about this at times in general, like you're somebody who's like, I want an offensive minded head coach. I want, I want the, the guy who like can understand the offense. Cause you take away the, the genius OC. Those guys tend to, you know, fall fall off the map the the team declines that yeah might I, I, I wanted with, them with to fire our coach and and take and take your offensive coach yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> but i do think there is i i tend to think that like over the long haul being an nfl head coach is such a weird job yeah, it's a mm-hmm. weird that increasingly like over time it becomes less and less about like installing this or that offense and it becomes much more about like People managing, uh, it's like identifying talent. Yeah. And uh, like Campbell, like that season of hard knocks, it's like, I don't know. There's just something compelling about him. And, you know, as uh, if you listen to Bobani Jones podcast, uh, you know, much at all, something else, he was sort of really quick to cotton on to back back before anyone was optimistic about Campbell in Detroit. He noticed that like Dan Campbell hired a very black coaching staff. Um, and not just like at position coach positions, which is, you know, often where you find like a lot of ex players, a lot of, a lot of black ex players, uh, you know, senior leadership roles on the coaching staff. And that's something a lot of, you know, isn't super common, uh, at, at a lot of teams. So he stuck with Aaron Glenn too, when the defense yeah. was struggling, it's like, no, we're sticking with them. And that was the right call. Yeah. You still feel that way even because like the way the defense kind of came undone, uh, yeah. at the end of that season was like, boy, this is the sort of thing that starts to give you, you start to run out of. Run yeah. Away. Yeah. So yeah, I do feel that way mostly because they, the, the defense failed in the ways I expected them to fail much earlier. And it felt like they were kind of sticking together. And then they were doing a lot of bending and not breaking in the yeah. playoff games where they would get down to the goal line. And then it's like, okay, now we have, a contained area where the linebackers can actually get to the to the play pretty quickly, and the linebacker linebacker court is very strong. Obviously, the line is very strong, and they were keeping a lot of people out of the end zone in the red zone. And it's like, yeah, the, the, clearly the team gives up a hu- huge chunks of yards uh, on the pass, and that was a problem. But it, it, you know, a bigger problem would be if they were giving up points and they just weren't. Um, obviously, again, that is something that was going to to fail at a certain point. You know, that 49ers game is not. Indicative of a ball doesn't uh, bounce off a guy's helmet into his hands. Not and and not like just the, not just any player. The yep. uh, the player it bounced off was, I believe, a cornerback, Kindel Vildor. Do you want to know where one of his last stops was before Detroit? <laughs> oh, please tell me. It was the Bears. Bears juice on you. Yep. It was yep. the Bears. It was <laughs> the Bears, which I mean speaks to the weakness of the quarterback room of the Lions. Probably something yes. they're going to have to uh, shore that up. Is I the think. biggest shortcoming by far. Uh, you know, we got uh, uh, you know. Brian Branch at safety and stuff like that. So it's Who's, like, like CJ Gardner Johnson got injured like early in the season. Yes. Or, um, so there, there was, yeah, sorry. Go yep. ahead, Rob. Well, I was just, I was just going to say, I feel like very few teams do not feel like man, our cornerback situation is not good because it is such a hard position. This is why they're right. so, they're so highly well, they're paid. They're asked to like, do so much more than they've ever been asked to do before. Like, there's, there's only ever a handful of shutdown corners in the league yep. where they're so good. You can't even target them. There's, there's and rarely, a, you can't fill the number one cornerback slot on every team with a shutdown guy. So you're already defense, down to, yeah. 
the new defense meta is just like you need to be doing these reads every play and you have one thing you have to do and you have to do it perfectly or else the whole defense falls apart. It's, uh, it, you know, a lot of defenses are able, are pulling that off, uh, but it's it requires a lot of high level thinking and being very fast uh, from these corners. And I, most of them are getting the hang of it. Uh, and it's like it's showing off in that the defense has played very well this year. But, yeah, it's it's a position that everyone wishes they had more depth at. Um but yeah, I mean, I think about that 49ers game, the, the bounce, obviously that was like a, a big turning point, but like, you know, it's, oh, Aiden Hutchinson has Brock Purdy in his hand right there. If he just gets the firm grip on that, the game's over. Um, so it's like, I mean, it never should have got to the point where they were in a position to lose that game. Uh, but again, I mean, for me, I was watching like, this is it. This is football. This, this happens all the time. Uh, and I'm not, you know, too shocked. Obviously not many teams come back from uh, a 17 point deficit at the half in the championship game, but still the, the, it's football. And I've seen it a million times. I'll say this too. Uh, you know, everyone, a lot of people tend to think, well, we'll get them next year, but football is hard. Mm-hmm. Like there's no guarantee to be back at all. Like windows open, they're open for a, for a millisecond. They, they slam shut unless you have someone like a Patrick Mahomes, right. Yep. Or a combo like Brady and Belichick. But I do think, you know, when the double doink happened, the the traumatic uh, Chicago sports <laughs> event of my, uh, you know, uh, you know, adult life, uh-huh. um, you know, when that happened, I think something I didn't appreciate in retrospect was one when I went that one because I was so high on the Bears after that season that before the next season started, I went back and I watched a few of the Bears games that were still on my DVR from the previous year. I was like, yeah, time to get a, time to get hype, time to get excited. <laughs> And I was struck watching the replay where I was like, they huh. didn't do a whole lot on yep. offense. Like, boy, that I remember this being a lot more exciting. This is like, ooh, that was another three and out, huh? That's not good. They are they kind of they're, they're winning on lucky bounces a lot of times, uh, or that defense is just like slowly choking the life out of out of another team until like eventually you know they get a score. But like the Bears under Nagy that year. When you start dug into it, they weren't that good a team. And then also they hadn't really ever been challenged as like that whole that whole regime. It was their first year. It was like, holy shit, it's just it's all breaking our way. I think what's funny, what what, what I feel so good about with the Lions is that, you know, yeah, there's no guarantee we'll be back next year. Nope. But they went through wild adversity in the early days of of Dan Campbell. Like it, it felt like they were on track to another Owen Owen sixteen season. His his first season, and I remember like, and I think this was the moment where I started to think like this guy might have something. Oh, that first Everyone's, win, that first not just that first yep. win. They'd had a number of heartbreaking losses where it was like yeah. they shouldn't still be winning. It was really yes, really close. Yeah, and then but they kept like it was like. They were they were good beats where it's like, damn, this team's really fighting like hell. And then yep. that first win, and it was like these guys, like it's band of brothers in there. Yes. Like it is complete. <laughs> like this team is hanging tough. And the next season was still like I think it was it was hard knocks off season. Yes. And the next the following season uh was still disappointing. For the beginning of the season, yes. And then they first went on half. the run to damn near getting playoff contention. Uh-huh. And it was like, okay, like these guys are these guys are tough. Like at all the points where a team should break. They handled their business. They, you know, yep. they, and and that's sort of the thing that does kind of make me excited about this Lions team, and 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 also just engage with them. It's it's hard not to dig a team that is like 
does not take any of this for granted. A fan base yep. that doesn't take any of this for granted. I think it was it was charming how many people I think were deeply moved by the the home wins in uh-huh. Detroit, uh, seeing what it meant to that fan base. Yep. And it's hard not to be affected by this team that a lot of a lot of these coaches and a lot of these players have been through the dark night of the soul. Uh, you know, in in previous seasons, they they they've taken really hard shots. And come back stronger. And so, like, you know, I think if the Lions were the Bears, that playoff meltdown, I would have been like, well, and now the roller coaster descends back to hell. Sure. Patrick, it's done. Let's let's check in on the Bears in 10 years uh, and and see what might be coming out of the smoldering rubble. (laughs) But with the Lions, it kind of feels like they are one of the few teams that probably does have the resiliency not to get organizationally derailed by one half of really unlucky and really bad football. Mm-hmm. It's um, and I, I think this does go back to the Dan Campbell being a vibes coach being so important. Uh, I, I do think a lot of it was uh, uh, illustrated in that first win where Jared Goff runs off the field and hugs Dan Campbell. And it's like, we did it. And it's like, you guys got one win. What, what are you doing? And it's like, no, I understood right away. Like, this is the, the beginning of what they've been working toward. You're good enough for it. Detroit. Yeah. That, like yeah. that line was like, oh, why am I tearing up in a yeah. Detroit Lions win speech? <laughs> and, and, but, and, and of course, uh, you know, a lot of coaches know when the stuff like that's important to their quarterback and stuff like that. But you get the, you get the sense that Dan Campbell knows all up and down the lineup when a game is important for them. And um, mm-hmm. uh, like Josh Reynolds getting very involved in that Rams game and in the in the, in the uh, offensive game plan there where it's like, oh, he was the other Ram that came to the Lions and is now trying to get a little bit of revenge as well. And it's like, OK, we're going to build some some plays around that. Um, keeping the mood up of a team and 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 say like establishing an identity is it does seem with the lions at least i don't i don't want to speak for the rest of the league i don't know what's going to work for the rest of the league it's the lions needed an identity first and then everything else could fall in place now it helps to have what seems to be a very very good offensive coordinator in ben johnson um Mm -hmm. to keep like okay to like back him up and like okay yeah you 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 get the vibes i'll make sure that the offense is very innovative uh to the point where you know 49ers ran a couple of Lions plays in the Super Bowl. And it's like, okay, yeah, th- th- that is clearly something we needed, which is why I'm ecstatic he's coming back. Um, <laughs> that's that's what gives me like a lot of hope. It's like, okay, th- th- this combination of factors seems like this is going to keep this team in contention this season. And I do, I agree. I feel different coming out of this, this season. There's uh, a lot of problems with the defense, but let's go see what Brad Holmes is going to do in the draft. He got Brian Branch, you got Jamar, uh, Jamar Gibbs, you got... Uh, uh, and he got um, got the tight end who was on my fantasy team, and now I can't remember. Um, Laporte? No, Laporta, 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 Laporta right? yes, yeah. Sam Laporta, and it's like oh, man, the three rookies making a huge difference year one. Um, I think that he could probably patch this up and have a team that is ready to go and will not be perfect still, but when they bend, they are ready to not break because of that culture. And it's like, well, if there was yeah. ever a year for the team, I I, I wouldn't be shocked if you were one of those teams that pulled off some big trade because like the win, yeah. this is the window, right? Like this is the, like Jared Goff's about to get real expensive, which changes yep. like how you do roster construction. You have a bunch of really young players, but like it is these next, like it's next year and maybe the year after that you're sort of guaranteed, like this is an opportunity to step through that door. And I'll be curious to see how the team 
handles that and like how aggressive they they end up being because they've been like re- remarkably other than like surprising people with the Jameer Gibbs uh, draft choice because the, you know running the, the running theory yep. is you don't take running backs early in the draft because you can find difference makers later on or even in just free agency. But um, I'll be curious if they if they make any sort of like aggressive like aggressive moves as a result understanding that like hey like none of this is guaranteed which actually was like re- remarkably refreshing from Campbell like in that post game loss speech to be not like a Debbie Downer but like there's no one can say we're coming back here right because like, yes. that's the speech yeah. you get because he like, knows I believe yeah. in this team like we'll run it back like and, and you understand the mentality that comes from like trying to pull people out of the depths of not just a loss but a collapse right a collapse yeah. has to feel fundamentally different than um, like there were moments in that 49ers game where uh, Lions players were waving goodbye to the 49ers yes, fans. Like, Gardner and, Johnson, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, like you got to have some swagger to, to win in sports. Like I, I don't knock like Gardner Same. Johnson for doing that. Like I thought, hey, like, I had a money line bet on <laughs> the Lions and I was feeling Pretty damn good about that <laughs> hey, bet off yep. at halftime. Yep. Um, uh, and uh, so I can understand having that swagger, but I also think having – it's an interesting approach to take of how do you talk to a team that is emotionally devastated is to – well, to treat them like adults to some degree. And it's almost kind of yep. intuitive, but I feel like it's – and it, I think there's a, a – if they weren't as successful to this point, I don't know that I'd believe it. But because his approach has been successful to this point, I'm I'm willing to look at this counterintuitive psychology as like maybe this is I don't know if it works for every team, but there's a chance it works for this team yeah. as a as a motivator for how you come back from from the brink. I'm I'm feeling very good about this season, and it, a lot of it comes down to stuff like that where it's like okay, I think he knows when to say. These are professionals and they they know what sport they're in. They know what this league is like and they there's no point in lying to them. So let's go in there, tell the truth and then talk about what it's going to take to overcome that truth. I think that's what they needed. And uh, I think him being able to identify that that the right moment for that was immediately the second that the loss happened. Uh, yeah, a little bit inspiring. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. I do have a question for you guys, though. Mm. Bears, I yeah. mean, uh Okay, let's let's start here. I I try to pay attention to the the uh, the way a team needs to be structured, and I look around at the league recently, and it's like, man, a lot of quarterbacks they get drafted, and then they get moved, and then they 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 do pan out, and it seems like that could happen with Justin Fields. But I understand that he probably he has to be traded. It seems like, but can you guys can explain yeah. to me why that has to happen? Well, uh, still, there's still two schools of thought on that. Yeah, yeah. I would love to hear I, both then. Yeah, the the uh, the most the strongest uh, argument is uh, that they drafted him at the wrong time in their roster building process, right? And and funnily enough, like the Lions were criticized for a while. Like at some point, you're gonna get you're gonna jettison Goff, right? And you're gonna drop right. in a rookie quarterback into a into a good team, and instead they stuck with Goff, and that seems like that's going to pan out. Are there really that many better quarterbacks that you're going to get? No. It'd especially where you're picking in the draft and how much he fits the culture. But, you know, Fields, like, stuck with an old regime, like, comes into a teardown team three years in. You've lost the competitive advantage from the the rookie contract, or you're right. nearing the end of that. 
the the Bears do seem to have a decent roster. Like they were uh, on the upswing towards the end, especially on the defensive side. Um, do you project out that Justin Fields, given more time, and now a brand new offensive coordinator can make that sort of leap? You know, I, I think it's reasonable for the Bears to look at the inconsistency that we have had as an organization does not lend itself to putting Justin Fields like in that position uh, all over again. And the advantages you get from resetting the clock on like just the, the the contractual stuff and the fact that it's the number one pick. If it was the number seven pick, if yeah. it was the number five pick, I think it's very easy to imagine being very excited about or at least optimistic about Justin Fields being good enough to get that team to the playoffs next year. But it's the number one pick. Caleb Williams is, you know, seen as a like really high upside talent. I think the the hand, like the, the Bears cards got forced by yeah. like the hand they have to play is with the Panthers sucked so hard that they they couldn't find a way to justify keeping a Justin Fields, especially if, as rumors suggest, they'll at least be able to get a second round pick from a, uh, a team like the Steelers. Um, it's just hard it's hard to, to 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 run against that, and yet it sucks shit because he's super cool and like a really nice guy, uh, right. and and you hate to see him get like run through the Bears ragged this way. But I, I think he was just a victim of circumstance. I don't know what his ceiling is. I am a little pessimistic about how high that ceiling is, but I think his floor is higher than what where it ever was at the Bears. And I think the right team, like if, if he gets straight to the Steelers, I think. I think they're in the playoffs. I think he yep, looks really I, exciting. I agree. Um, but also it becomes a very funny, the Steelers become a dumping ground for ex-Bears quarterbacks. Like <laughs> they, they very publicly uh, dropped Mitch Trubisky uh, a couple of days uh, before we recorded this and then might, and then might trade for Justin Fields. And so that is a, just a funny turn of events, but uh, <laughs> that's where I stand on it, Rob. I don't, I don't know where you, where you differ. I, I broadly I broadly agree with that. This is, but that is the that is the assessment. If you if you really like Justin Fields, and I do, uh, and I I would love for all of that to be true. Um, I think the problem is there is enough like film on him at this point to suggest that this guy doesn't see the game fast enough. Uh, like he does not he does not react at the speed an NFL quarterback needs to react. Uh, with which uh, NFL quarterback needs to react. And I think for me, we talked about this on the show before for a few weeks there, he was knocked out and uh, a sort of a, a no name quarterback. Uh, is it Tyson Pageant? Yeah. Uh, dude comes in uh, is his notable the sort of the, the background of that guy was his dad was like arm wrestling champion of the world. <laughs> uh, but so this guy who, like, again, kind of a no-name, uh, no no reason to expect much, didn't play at a super high level uh, in college, comes in and, one, he's visibly not a better quarterback than Fields. He lacks a lot of the physical abilities. Uh, you know, he's, just not, he's just not the athlete. He's not the arm that Justin Fields is. But for a bit there, the offense looks better. And it looks better in ways that, like, plays just seem to get to the line faster. Uh, but the most important thing is, like, ball is snapped. And like before you can count two, ball is out. The decision has been made. Is it the right is it the best decision? I don't know. But you see that, and it's like that's what an NFL quarterback has to do. It like they like because pre, like when pressure comes, it can come. It can sometimes come so fast. 
that you basically need to be able to like have your primary read and like make a call on it and move off it right away. But you've got two seconds to make that decision. You got to have an idea of what's going to happen at the line. And with fields, you never get the sense that he fully does know, or the sense I maybe get more often is he plays quarterback. Like he wants to find the most optimal play at any given time. He plays, he plays quarterback a bit like you're playing Madden back in the day where it's like, you're just watching like four different routes develop and you're, which of these guys going to get open so I can like throw the strike and, and pick up the most yardage. I don't want to leave yards on the table, but the game moves at such a speed that most of the time he does that something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's good enough athlete that he, like a lot of times, Oh, he's going to get pressured. Well, he'll, he'll get out of it and still like cause something to, to bust open. But sometimes that is how you end up with a 25 yard loss because he keeps getting out of it and falling back and eventually they get him. So with, with, with fields, you just end up in this position of, I just don't like in my most pessimistic days, I'm just like, this guy's never going to have the ability to just like, like take like see what is out there before the snap and then take it immediately. And if you can't do that, you're going to have problems. The arm strength, the accuracy, all that stuff can is, like has gotten better, I think, with with fields. But that ability to just like help yourself out and get the get the offense out of a jam uh, when, when the pressure is coming, that hasn't been fields. How how is CJ Stroud doing what he's doing over that's that's I mean, I guess he's got a better offensive line. I think that probably helps. But uh, him being rookie of the year as a quarterback and actually getting the playoffs and making it look easy. It feels like a once in a lifetime well, this, sort of QB situation. This is something that Rob and I talked about as we watched the playoffs play out. And we were trying to sort through our feelings on where it is, where do you kind of settle with fields as the bears enter this really monumental off season was watching a CJ Stroud. I was like, have you ever watched fields these last three years and imagined he could do Yeah. And you watch Mahomes, you watch Lamar Jackson, you watch Josh. Like, I just can't. It doesn't mean I don't think like fields can be successful. Like there's his athletic, like sheer athletic ability could be harnessed by the right team, the right structure to like plenty of teams do not have the best quarterback. Jared Goff's not the best quarterback in the league. Like Mm -mm. it's about being used correctly. And I think. Something that two different organizational structures, organizational structures on the Bears struggled to do was to use fields correctly. And I think if someone can tap into that raw athletic ability and a touch of the deep pass and just realizing he cannot throw the quick game or over the middle is just not going to happen. You could you could you could you could tap into something. Is it long? Is it like long term? Is he like the guy for your team? Probably not, but I think with the right talent and the right structure, you could get something much more than the Bears have ever have ever gotten on him. That said, part of this, like Jeff, is this ongoing anxiety complex that Bears fans have, which is we're just a meat grinder for quarterbacks. Yep. And so when Mitch Trubisky left, who it's easy to say now, <laughs> that guy always sucked. But the yeah. big fear was when he left after they didn't pick up his fifth year option and went somewhere else like, oh, what, what, what's going to happen is what, of course, it's going to happen is that like we just didn't know how to use this guy. He got disgusted with the team. He left and he's going to go do something great elsewhere. And well, it turns out he just sucks shit. 
Um, and like <laughs> that might be the case with Fields as well. I think Fields has a higher floor than than Trubisky ever did, but it's also entirely possible that. Fields was just didn't make that leap. So many college players don't. Oh, yeah. Like quarterback is incredibly difficult. And 15 it's a, guys in the world do that job well. Yeah, it's it. Yeah. And for some, it just doesn't click. And the thing against Fields that they said coming out of college was he's a slow reader. Like he doesn't read the field fast. And not, no evidence in the last three years has shown that that has changed like all that much with, with Fields. But um, I don't know. Same with Trubisky. I was like, well, I think we ruined you. I hope you do something better <laughs> elsewhere. Yep. And it didn't happen for him. I don't know if it'll happen for for Fields, but on a personal level, uh, I am I am rooting for him. Um, I do want to bring yeah. in this. Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, go. I was just gonna say, if if Fields was the guy, how could we? Would you guys be feeling about this draft coming up? Like, well, first that's pick the thing. And, You'd be getting yeah. like two or three first round draft. I mean, you would be. That's the ultimate tragedy, right? Yep. If Fields was not even great, but like pretty good, right? You would be setting your team theoretically up. For like generationally for yep. for like a 10 years of like picking incredible talents in the first round, which you could whiff on. You could get those wrong. First round stuff is a is a can be a coin flip as well. But you'd be able to trade it for just an enormous haul. A lot and of value. Yep. Instead. Uh, but at some point, like you got it doesn't matter if you don't have the quarterback like it literally or you're operating a team on such a knife's edge. Like what is the reason the bills? Like the Bills had a report come out where their head coach was like saying, if we acted more like 9-11 terrorists, like I think we'd be a better football team. And they <laughs> I made mean, it Paul to Monks the. Us hasn't said that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we all have got our motivational approaches, but like, <laughs> how'd they get there? Well, Josh Allen dragged him there. You know what I mean? Like that's ultimately, you know, what, what, what gets you or gives you the best chance. And mm-hmm. if you don't have that, you're relying on roster construction that is just really difficult to do year over year. And so I'm of the mind that maybe Caleb Williams ain't it. Like there's as good a chance that he isn't than he is, but I'd rather they give it another shot. But at the very least, Oh, go. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think though, also good coaches will know how to like, let a player be themselves and bad ones will be like, I need to coach your tendencies out of you. Oh, like something happened on the field. I don't like better. Get rid of those instincts. Uh, I do think that's what happened with golf in L.A. And yeah. I, I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm very critical of how Sean McVay did that. Looking back and seeing the, how Ben Johnson was like, I'm going to build an offense around what you can do. Uh, I think it makes what they did in L.A. with golf look very bad. Like that team looks pretty rough in that situation. I think. Well, I think like Josh Allen, uh, you know, before things turned around on him, he was a guy who made bad decisions sometimes with with the ball and could could be a little sloppy. That appears to still be kind of who he is, but the team kind of made a decision to be like, hey, just, you know, <laughs> go out there and sling it. Uh, <laughs> you know, hey, you see you see Elaine? Go on, take that ball. Don't slide. You're a big boy. You can take and just let, let him do his thing. And I feel like Fields, like the thing that's really damning is I, th- I feel like Fields, you could watch. Like, yes, he was always there was always evidence he was a slow processor. But I think he got worse under coaching and it felt like this dude is starting to overthink. And eventually he said so this year where it's like, you know, I've got a lot of a lot of voices in my head basically about, you know, when it comes to what he's been told to do and you know trying to do too much back there. But I think a lot of that comes from this is what happens when you have scrub tier coaches, uh, which is what the Bears usually have to manage their quarterbacks.
One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar, you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein. Has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners, Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week. And then I'd trawl through the grocery stores, making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's, right, that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. very least uh <laughs> nfc north doesn't have aaron Rodgers in it anymore that's now, we true have to deal with jordan love of course but yeah well there might be a whole reason to be sad all over again um yeah. speaking of being sad for uh, nick and ann arbor uh wrote into uh to questions at remapradio.com greetings lions and bears oh my i'm a metro, uh, metro detroit native and my father's been a lifelong lions fan i like them but don't follow as religiously i also got my success this year uh, as a University of Michigan grad employee. Uh, I invited him to watch the NFC Championship together, but he wanted to watch it on his own to have, quote, no distractions. I yep. called him excited <laughs> at halftime, asking how he felt the Lions would likely be going to the Super Bowl. Foolish of me. He was happy, but said he hadn't talked to anyone else about it yet because he didn't want to jinx it. 
I proceeded to watch the rest of the game and dreaded calling him back. He forgave me in a couple of days. Do you guys have any game day superstitions or ritual sacrifices? Go Lions and Wolverines, Nick in Ann Arbor. I that's uh that's rough. Did you um do you have like any like lines text chains? Like what was the vi- like what was the vibes with like any other people that you knew as the like the roller coaster hit its peak and then went let's go was heading down. I I have a deep kinship with Nick's dad where I like watching things by myself without no distractions. <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't get included on text chains. Uh-huh. I do. And it's, you know, it's my mom going, oh, my God, don't they look so good? I'm like, stop. Yeah, it. Mom, let's just let's just wait. <laughs> Can we just wait? And it, it's not it's not even like necessarily like superstition. I just I just a lot of times I'll be watching a game and people be like, well, I'm just worried that this is happening. I'll be like, well, what the fuck are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, nothing, you can't do anything about it. So shut up. I just let me watch. And it's pretty toxic. So I tried to just go be by myself and watch it on my own. So yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> I, yeah. Like I remember I didn't realize just how awful my vibes were as a Chicago sports fan until <laughs> the 2016 world series. And uh, I was in LA at the time. And my buddy that I grew up with lives out there. And so he and his wife were over at my place and his wife doesn't give a shit about baseball. Uh, but she's, she does like hosting parties. So she was like, you know, doing the whole, like, I'm going to, you boys have fun. I'm going to cater this whole thing. It's, it's going to be fun. It was fun. But at some point she went over, she, she started doing exaggerated impressions of us uh, <laughs> as like, uh, she wait till nothing was happening in the game. Then she'd react like, and like comically like pace around the room and run her hands through her hair. And, uh, you know, she, she would sort of stomp over to the window and stare out for a second. And, uh, it made, it made me realize, cause like a lot of those are my mannerisms. Some were, were her husbands, but it made me realize like, Oh my God, like we are just awful. Like we do not appear to be having any kind of fun with mm-hmm. this. We're just miserable. Uh, and making sure everyone sees how like miserable and tightly wound we are. And uh, I, I like to think I've gotten a little bit better about that. I think because I've I've gotten better about expecting less uh, from from the Bears in particular. Like, uh, you know, I just I do not let my Sunday ride or die with that team. Um, but, you know, I felt kind of bad this year. Um, MK is uh, originally from Michigan. And so we, we started catching more Lions games this year. And like during the playoff run, she sort of had this realization. She turned to me and was like, you know, I didn't realize that this team meant that much to me, but like, I care way more about this team than I ever have about the bears. I'm sorry, hun, but like, <laughs> I just like, this is, it turns out this is really hitting me differently. This is really like, this matters to me in a way that that the bears don't and so she had a fun football season but i also then the the the, she let the lines into her heart yeah she let the she she she'd sort of you know mentally gone back return to to michigan uh and she got a dose of that pure uncut michigan uh, (laughs) when be careful tim doesn't mess around with that (laughs) With that second half. Now, admittedly, from watching a lot of Bears games with me, she knew immediately that the vibe had shifted. Like, just immediately. Like, I I forget what the first thing that happened. Was the helmet catch? 
it was, the, was, was not the first thing, but it was that was the first obvious sign to everybody. Like at that point, no, it was before that. Knew. Then it was like early in but the, the second. Okay. Half. There was a moment the vibe started. Sh- I think the helmet catch um, is when for me which, I got a sinking feeling in my gut. I was like, oh, like yeah, vibe, momentum, he, whatever you want to call fourth, it. And they dropped it right before that, right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. I think. Yeah, and we like she just looked at me. and was like, uh oh, like yep. what happened to those guys in the locker room? I was like, <laughs> I don't know. This something. This just happens. Absolutely. And it's uh, Michigan sports teams. um, They've been traveling well over the last couple of years. And obviously the Lions traveled very well this year. A lot of Michigan uh, sports teams fans all around the country. Uh, And I I don't know necessarily what that is. I I suppose a little bit of is, uh, you know, there isn't a lot else going on in in the Detroit Detroit metro area. I mean, it's definitely better than it than it used to be. It's not like it was in like 2010. A lot of people would be like, "Oh, this wasteland," and it's it's not that anymore. Um, but uh, the, the sports teams are a common bond in a way that, like, you know, I, I we vacationed to Chicago. You guys got a lot going on in Chicago. That's a fun city <laughs> with like a lot of distractions. You know, like I know the sports teams are important. There are ways to, to like look at other stuff that you can completely forget about those sports teams. I don't think the same thing is quite happening in Michigan, and so uh, I think a lot of a lot of people carry a lot of fondness, even if it is a little bit uh, buried and come become. Uh, once teams start winning, it's very easy to get back on board. I think for a lot of people, but uh, I I did buy into the America's team story with that team a lot. Uh, that seemed to be catching on. So uh, yeah, fuck I don't know. the Cowboys. It was, a, it was a fun season. Yeah, oh, absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, the the uh, you being at the uh, the party though, Rob. You guys uh, see that trend on like um, YouTube Shorts and uh, a TikTok where the partners of people who are sports fans will be watching them and they'll have a bingo board and they'll be like, uh, "What are we doing?" It's like and then they cross <laughs> off the "What are we doing?" thing in there and then it's like. Uh, Come on, guys. Like all, all these different, like, oh, oh and the, he's pacing back and forth. All right. We're going to cross mm-hmm. off pacing. And it's like, like every, by the end of the game, every single square is filled in. And it's like, there's 20 different videos of this, of, of guys like oh doing this God. across the country. So, yeah. Well, the, the, uh, the, the opposite of all of that is, uh, I'm sure we've told this story on this podcast before, some version of it. But Rob and I, uh, you know, extremely rare despite how often we talk about the bears to watch a bears game together. And there was one rare instance in which the two of us were in, he's already rubbing his temples. <laughs> we were in New York together uh, at waypoint at vice. And there happened to be a, was it must've been a Thursday night game, right? Or is it a Sunday night game? One of the I other, it right? Been Thursday. It was a night game. It might've been a Monday. Could have been a Monday. It was either way. It was a night game. Um, and, you know, we were trying to figure out some place to watch it, and there was a sports bar that was nearby, but then we got oh, no, there. No, it looked like a sports bar, but it's Williamsburg, so everything is the fraudulent version of what you think it is. <laughs> all the all the TVs were muted, and we, like, couldn't listen to the game. And then I, 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 man, I remembered off the top of my head, I was like, oh, but there's an app that in theory is supposed to let you right, sink you like point in. at the screen. Yeah, and, yeah. And Rob did not believe me. And this shit worked like magic. We both put headphones in and we were okay. able to listen wow. to, to the game and watch it. Um, and the bears were playing the Cowboys and this is a Trubisky just went off in this game. Like just happened to have a great game through like three big boy touchdowns. And you have to remember <laughs> it's otherwise sort of like a soccer bar, 
but it's quiet. None of the, it's not like a sports bar where like the sports are booming and lots of people are talking. It's basically quiet. And Rob and I are ordering these uh, mystery beers. They just came in a paper <laughs> bag and we wouldn't oh, know the, what, okay, what the Williams beer was. Um, uh, and uh, I am just... At a certain point, I'm like three beers in. I'm like on the table, like 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 an ape, just like let's go. And Rob's just like we sit the like a child, like sit the fuck down. Like what are you doing? Like Mitch, Mitch. Like, now, granted, the place kind kind of get into it at a certain point. Like they were, they were like, oh, we're so oh, happy like, for these. Like right. by the by the second half. A lot of people had left probably because it was unbearable now. <laughs> but if you stayed, like kind of the whole place got into it with us, like kind of ironically, but like, all right, yeah, I guess we're all Bears fans. <laughs> and so they like turned on the sound, like most of the TVs were flipped to the Bear game. So we didn't have to wear our little earpieces and like people watch the Bear game and like people were congratulating us at the end. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> in the middle of the, the one bright part of, I remember that being a lost season. I, you know, who knows which yeah. season it was, uh, but it was, I, I think it was the, 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 the playoff run hangover season. Patrick is, is kind of my memory where it yes, was like, where they despair had not set in. Well, they fam- famously, that was like, Oh, that was like, maybe we're going to take the leap that, you know, Detroit made from uh, year over year over year. And that was the, the, the season where they opened up the hundredth year of the NFL and it was Bears versus Packers, first game of the season. Matt Nagy dressed up as uh, Papa Bear Hallis, like it was Halloween. Um, Jesus. And they and they got their ass kicked by the. the I mean, they, I think the oh, it was just like a complete like one year earlier. They had all it also been Bears Packers opener, mm-hmm. and Patrick and I were like, "Hey, Bears look good." They still lost, but it was like it was expected to be a blowout. And the Bears almost won, and that whole game, Patrick and I have been like. I think it was where Patrick and I start becoming friends. I had no mm-hmm. one else I could text to about the Bears. <laughs> uh, we just start working together. Uh, and so I was like, damn, the Bears are looking kind of good. And then a year later, same game, effectively, exact same night. And Patrick and I are texting like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> I, remember, I remember Patrick like texting back. Mitch looks fucking worse. Mm. And... It was true. Like I didn't like. I didn't want to like admit it, but it was like one of those <laughs> the things. Start really, of like, the season. Like, oh no. Yeah. Like, oh shit. Like, what's the opposite of taking the leap? Taking the plunge. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was just like this. This guy's actually sort of falling off. So. So yeah. Uh, it, but I, I, like, ritual stuff. I think has gotten burned out of me at this point. Yeah. Like, same. Believe me. Yeah. If, if I had a. If if. I think you only develop rituals if your team has some reasonable record of success where the ritual helps you like where it feels like using my psychic energy, something good happened mm-hmm. Yep. and the bears will break you of any belief that your positive <laughs> thoughts or anything you do, any ritual is going to correlate with what happens on that field. Uh, uh, well, we should probably talk about the Super Bowl at least a little bit. Um, it is- <laughs> can we start with you guys? If um, if the Lions were in it, do you guys think they would have won? I think you would. No. Well, so the hmm, the defense, right? Like it was a defensive game. It was actually a pretty boring game for the first half. Uh, by our, our Super Bowl watch party was getting a little unruly because like not much you need to was- watch a better class of fan, my friend. Because like <laughs> I thought it was actually a really good game throughout. It was just low scoring, but yes. it was like. These teams, like, it wasn't that the offenses were misfiring. It was just, like... There was nothing for them to fire at. 
Yeah. But and there was, I, like, you know, the, there was like lost fumbles. It's like they were good. They're driving. They're driving. And it's like, oh, my God, it, it, it blew up in their face. It's like, well, now they're screwed. And it's like, well, then no, now, now this offense has uh, made a, a big blunder. And it was like, I don't know. It, it kept me on the edge of my seat. And, you know, by the end, I was like, OK, well, I do want things to ramp up. And guess what? Good news. It really, really, really did. So it's like, I don't know. I, I think we had the best sides of, uh, of both coins there. I think for me, like the reason, like the, the thing I fully converted to about uh, Mahomes is like. Or I'm gonna draw an analogy from my sport F1, uh, but there sometimes like there's there's questions about like oh who's the absolute fastest right like who's the best like you put a guy in a car he's just gonna like you know absolutely be blazingly fast around around the track and then there are drivers that I think people tend to love a bit less but they like drive to a target time they're not gonna go faster than they need they're going to drive as slowly as they can and still win the race because the faster you go the more risk you take you know the more stuff can happen. Mahomes is capable of just like he drives to a time like he will like once like especially in this playoff run once like, I feel like with the bills once he got the points on the board he needed to like he got the they, they scraped through the bare minimum points to, to get through that I don't think it was like a necessarily a marquee performance uh, versus the bills I think it's gonna be a particularly memorable one but every time he touched the ball they had a bit of a drive there weren't you know, this was the thing that the bills were struggling to match. Uh, and if not for a, a fluke fumble and that weird fumble rule in the NFL, the chiefs put it away with, uh, you know, time to spare, uh, with, with a touchdown. I think with the, with, with case with the, with the super bowl, I think one of the things that the offense wasn't working, the plays weren't going anywhere. And as we've seen a number of times this year, um, when that's happening, Mahomes turns into, a running running quarterback where he's just like, okay, I am just going to start gouging them now for 15, 20 yards a run because uh, nobody's catching these passes. I see a lane. I'm gone. And then once he didn't have to do that anymore, once he sort of like trained the, uh, trained the defense to like expect the run a bit more, suddenly he's throwing strikes. And so it's like, it's to me, it's just one of those things where he's not going to do, he's going to do exactly what it takes. He's going to play the exact game that is required to break things in their favor and then he's not going to push it uh you know and and i think in part because like he's got a weaker team you know i think he can't just like uh run people off the field maybe like like he was like four years ago yeah Yeah. you're not scoring a touchdown in three plays but like it's it's a it's a credit to his development as a quarterback that he's willing fine i'll just take what's here okay like because part of the part of the uh, uh, one of the strategies around defense for the last five years, I think they call it like the cover two shell, is basically you're not yeah. going to throw it forty yards anymore. Can't do you have the patience to throw it five, seven, eight yards over, over and over, over again, and yeah. over again? And now, granted, Mahomes also had not a wide receiver that could basically catch a ball all season. But despite that, plus the change in sort of like the defensive meta. He just embraced it like this is a guy that it's, it's it's actually kind of easy to forget. It used to be someone like, oh, he's got the ball like they've just how long did it take for them to score like a minute? And now it's they're defined by excellent defense and like grueling seven, eight, nine minute drives. And that's a testament to him having the patience to do what you need to do to win and yet be able to flip the switch. Those two that overtime drive that last drive in the fourth quarter that's when he really took off and where it was like, fuck it. Like I, I will just lay it all out on the table and do what I need to get to the end. 
And frankly, what I found most impressive was about the game was less Mahomes as much as Brock Purdy didn't lose that game. Brock, wow. Every time the 49ers went off the field, he they were winning. Like, you just unfortunately are playing against an era in which we have back-to-back players who just win. Like, they find a way no matter what they are up against. If you give them an inch, they will squeeze themselves through. But I was I was remarkably, I was really impressed by Brock Purdy. He is not like the most exciting player to watch, but he met the moment. He is not the reason that they lost. And I thought in no. many instances, got himself out of some incredible jams, given how good the Chiefs defense was. And like one of like the, the, the best like prop bets on the Super Bowl uh, was Brock Purdy throwing an interception because he's throwing a bunch of just easily interceptable balls that either have been caught or have just like been near misses. And so, of course, the Chiefs are going to get them at some point in the Super Bowl. And like he had like big high leverage moments, played really well. I like watching his parents up there, watching an undraft, like a, a Mr. Irrelevant last pick in the draft, like not going to amount to anything. And he was like plays away from winning the Super Bowl. I thought that part was really cool, even if I feel bad for, you know, 49ers fans to to some degree. Yeah, he um, I there was times where he didn't look great, but you're right. He never was losing them the game. And uh, and you're right. His ability to escape some plays is uh, re- and it's the thing that kept them in the Lions game. And it's the thing that really did. Uh, well, he killed, ahead he for most killed of, you yeah. with those. Like every time yes, that was it, it was he over. Once scamp, he started doing that. A, you, you would have yep. him like third and 12. And it's like, all right, this we're with the clamps down. And then he would get yep. like 15 yards, which is, was, which was, is what the does. It's like, and it's not like he was escaping like, like schlubs. He, he's like, you know, Hutchinson is right on him. Yeah. And he's going to like, he's going to recognize that and get out of that. That's not like luck. That, that's him knowing where the pressure is coming from, putting putting himself in a situation to escape. And that is something that the, the good quarterbacks in the league are doing right now and have been doing a lot of and making that work in terms of, yeah, they're 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 doing the reads. They're being, uh, you know, real QBs, real big boy QBs, uh, but they are they have legs and they're using them. I mean, it's, it's Josh Allen's success is, is that obviously uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think that Brock Purdy is not anywhere close to that level of quarterback, but he is someone that was able to emulate the things he needed to emulate to put the team in a position to win. Um, And then, yeah, I I think, you know, if the Lions were there, I think that they score a lot more uh, than the 49ers did. And I think that Mahomes then scores a lot more too. I I do think it's that. that (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyone thinking like, Oh, like if not for that block field goal, no, if that, if that, sorry, extra point, if that extra point is made, it ends in regulation because Mahomes just takes the like he finds a way to score the touchdown yeah. uh, rather than like do it like setting up the field goal. Like I, I just fundamentally think the game just like, OK, I need four. I'm going to get seven. That's just how this is going to unfold, uh, because like, again, I think he measures risk that way. Right. It, you know, do I need to try to force this to the end zone? And that's kind of the difference is like a so the way Detroit plays. They will go for the end zone as a matter of principle, I think, in part because of the act of yes. culture building, culture where building. it's yes. like 100%. you're not losers. Like yep. you need to act like you've got this. Right. And with Mahomes, because they've proven all that needs to be proved in KC. You know that like. Going in overtime is not uh, like you're not going to lose in overtime. You're going to get them then. So like, just go yep. go to overtime, higher percentage to to win it there. Uh, take take the field goal right now. 
And I think that that's kind of like my view of, of, of how they, how they play. Uh, Purdy's really interesting. I, I feel like he, like, first of all, he's just, it's going to be a great, it's a great story from the human interest standpoint of like the, the dude in this draft position never amounts to anything really. Uh, certainly not a quarterback. And here he is now uh, having led a team to a conference championship and then now a Super Bowl. But I think the other weird thing is he ends up being this case study in like how, (laughs) again, like just the the weird mental qualities of being a great quarterback can transcend like before before a draft. It's all about like, oh, look at this arm. Look at these legs. Look at these. Here, look at the measurements of this guy. Ah, uh, he's gonna look at all this, all the stuff he can do. Brock Purdy's a guy who has like a great deal of poise. He does for whatever reason. He seems sort of insensible to the moment, to the weight of the moment, in a way that a lot of guys are are not. The other thing is that he's got a lot of nerve, and that doesn't get shaken uh, when he makes mistakes. But the critical component is he's just good enough. There's a lot of quarterbacks who, if they have that like X factor of like not sweating their mistakes, of having that little bit of nerve, they're not good enough that that doesn't cause more problems than it solves. Purdy's just good enough that like him kind of being fearless and being like, I got this remains a good thing, even though he's not that great a quarterback in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, he just he just dials in the right amount of uh you know, the, the right amount of YOLO, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the, a lot of, a lot of leagues going to need to like, look to that model where it's like, you're not going to be able to go out and get the quarterback every time. So can you make someone that, that has these set of attributes work for you? And if they think if you're a good team and clearly the 49ers are a great football organization, um, uh, 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 Shanahan and um, who's their former player, uh, uh, GM, um, he, th- that they have oh. put together a team. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, know why my four-handed uh, <laughs> John blanking Lynch. on him. Yeah, John Lynch. Thank you. Yes, uh, like they have, like, they go out and get the tools they need. They get Christian McCaffrey, so that you, when you do have a new QB, QB in there, they're like, well, listen, you've got some tools here that are going to be able to bail you out of a lot of situations. So, what are you good at? Go out and do that. And um, yeah, it's going to be a model to look to. I think most teams will probably still uh, fill to to figure that out. Um, wh- what do you guys think about like um, the free agency for QBs this season? You guys think um, Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, like there's some names out there that people are going to go for. You think they're going to like a team like 49ers are going to stick with Purdy now, right? That there's no, like he took him. To, I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think you would have had to have like a catastrophic yeah. implosion. I think plus the, the 49ers have just, they have a very expensive team. Like they're, yes. they are going to have their pivot point. Isn't, Next, this coming season, it's I think the season after where they're going to have a bunch of players up that they're going to ha- they're going to struggle to to hold on to right as they're going to have to sign Purdy to. Well, I can't they can't I don't think they can actually even sign Purdy to a contract yet. Like in some ways, they would probably wish they could, but I think they are not allowed to even begin contract negotiations with him until a year from now. But uh, no, I, I think they kind of stand pat there because I think they're paying him like a million dollars a year or something. Oh, abs- yeah. Absurd. Um, yeah, an absurd contract. But yeah. Cousins, uh, I, I expect him to go some somewhere. I saw the Vikings already linked up with J.J. McCarthy, the the University of uh, Michigan quarterback that was just with Harbaugh. Um, and so uh, I, I, I expect uh, 
cousins who end up uh, somewhere, but I, I don't know where. I, I'm trying to think of like who fits that Vikings-esque mold where you would just want to drop somebody in. Um, I think some of that depends on if if like the Steelers don't go with Fields. I could certainly see Cousins like having a having a landing spot there, but he's expensive. Like he is. Yeah, he's like yeah. He know like he knows he's good and or at least he's good enough, right? You give him the right team, like he's not going to fuck it up for you, um, right? Even if he doesn't take you over the top. But I, I don't know who that that team is. Baker Mayfield. I mean, I, I expect he'll just stay. Yeah, I think he's going to where stay he's at. Um, Ryan Tannehill probably end up somewhere. I'm not sure, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, but the the other the other interesting thing about the the Super Bowl uh, that we got to test out for the first time was the new overtime rules, uh, which yeah. uh, were implemented because of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, uh, famously a, a playoff game from a couple of years back in which uh, the Chiefs and the Bills go to overtime. Uh, the Chiefs get the ball to start overtime, score a touchdown, game over. Josh Allen never gets to touch the ball, and everyone – collectively agreed well that fucking sucked um yep. like that's not how we want to feel and so they've they've gotten something closer to college football it's not exactly college football overtime rules but it's it's more in that direction where um you are guaranteed touching the ball in overtime um the way it's sort of set up is if uh uh whoever gets the ball first uh you, if you score three points, the other team has to either match it or exceed it. So either score a field goal, score a touchdown. If you receive the ball first and you don't score any points, the other team, if they score anything, then uh, they win. If both teams match three and three or seven and seven, it's then sudden death and next score wins. There's actually been a, a decent amount of criticism of the 49ers who had an opportunity to receive or defer and chose to receive it. The idea being that, well, now you've just deferred to Mahomes and he knows that he has four downs and that fundamentally changes your calculus on how you move down the field. Um, yep. That said, I, there was I, I saw someone uh, I think it was over at the ringer pinged like 20 different analytics departments and asked, what do your analytics show on what you should do in overtime? And it was split 50 50. So I think it's it's too yeah. early to know exactly what it all means, but. I'm I'm curious what the two of you thought of what I frankly thought was like a really like I love the new format. I'm I, I, I like think it, it was too. a great change to how the game plays in that. In yeah, that situation. it felt like football still in the way that in, in a way that college football does not. College football is still very exciting in overtime. Like I, you don't have to change it or anything. But I, I'm like, this isn't really football anymore. Uh, and then th- this is like, no, the, the football game's just continuing, which is kind of the way I always thought they should just settle. It's like, well, if it's tied and when the when the clock is over, it's just like, just keep playing. Um, but uh, this is a, a kind of a good middle ground where it's like, well, then, no, we want to make it fair, start a new game over, and here we go. It's like, okay, no, that that totally works for me, and I thought it was pretty exciting. And uh, it was the wrong decision to, uh, to, for, to like, let uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes go after you. That's like I, I, well, letting your defense rest, uh, uh, you know, all this stuff, that, that, that doesn't matter. You really got to just think what's the biggest factor here. It is does Patrick Mahomes have the ball last potentially? Right. Then you can't do that. Because if, if, se- if you get that ball second, you know what you have to do to win. Like even yeah. when they get scored to, if they score a touchdown, 
you could go for two and you could still because that'll end and, it if you go for, and if there, you go for teams two. teams against which like maybe that doesn't matter as right. much, but right. that's not it's not the Chiefs. It's definitely no, not the Chiefs. No, there are just certain quarterbacks where it's just like, man, don't do it. Don't give him an inch because like <laughs> I got, like, you uh-huh. know, he'll wedge it open. Rob, what did you what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I dig the dig the format. Anything that you can do to make the uh, overtime format still feel like a game uh, with the with the same dynamics of a game, I, I think is good. Like the gold standard is playoff hockey rules. Uh, sudden death. Yes. We play as long as we have to. Uh, you know, that is a generator of just like indelible like hockey memories. Um the 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 low point like the worst format is like uh soccer going down to penalty kicks where it's yes. like man this is a great game we've all had huh <laughs> and it's time to Cup, just huh? spin the wheel yep. <laughs> and it's just such a fucking bummer that like at no level like doesn't matter like you would think maybe maybe the world cup deciding match maybe we maybe we just don't do penalty kicks for that one yeah no we are gonna no, stick penalty by penalty kicks uh it's it's so demoralizing I think this this format is all right. It's very funny how we got here, which is just that like everyone everyone likes Josh Allen. When Josh Allen is good, he's so much fun to watch. Um, I think maybe a little more fun than Mahomes in some ways because there's a chaotic energy yeah. to Allen's game that like boy, I don't know what's going to happen with the Mahomes. You tend to know like something good is going to happen with, with Allen. It's like he's gonna he's gonna do some wild stuff at at his best. He's like uh, a Brett Favre, but he didn't defraud Mississippi. That's the yeah yeah, and <laughs> like wasn't. Yeah, Brett Favre <laughs> managed to start a lot of games despite injuries, but like I don't think anybody was afraid to tackle Brett Favre. No, uh, <laughs> like where it's like Josh Allen is like, man. Uh, well, what the sorry the they don't let you play fullback anymore. Nobody yeah, runs fullbacks right. anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I guess I throw the ball, throwing the ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> guess what? try this. Uh, but yeah, so like I, I think it's funny how we got here, but I think it was it's it's a very it's a very good format. Uh, really, really dig it. I I will say I think probably I don't want to I don't want to sell this part. I think the injuries to the Niners started to catch that up. That Greenlaw them. one was yep. fucking it was devastating. brutal. Just in the well, way it, it happened. It had felt, I think, for previous games even, like they were hanging by a thread in terms of like just how many times did, did Debo Samuel look not right during this playoff run? Yeah. Where it's like, is Debo going to be back in the game? I don't know. Like, and kept finding a way back in, but like there were the sheer number of guys who you suspected, like I think I was playing hurt. And oh, then yeah, the George Kittle didn't do anything in the last two games and then leaves the Super Bowl with a shoulder injury. Yeah. Not, not surprising. He hasn't caught anything in two whole games. Yeah. And, and so I, I do think it's one of those things where by the end of that game, separate from the decision they make to receive, uh, you know, or, or whatever in the, in, in overtime, I think they were a diminished team with each quarter after the half. And like by the time you're you're at overtime, uh they're they're compromised on both sides of the ball. Well, and then it's just the ability for, you know, uh you know, a player like we we alluded to this at the beginning discussing the team and their ability to kind of switch it on in a uh well, it's recently we've seen this in basketball, with like the Golden State Warriors, right? It's more common in sports that go on for long periods of of time, basketball especially. But like the Golden State Warriors at their heights would just 
kind of not really do much during the regular season because they were saving it for where, where it really mattered. And Travis Kelsey, who was closer to the end than he is in the beginning, I think there was a lot of speculation, like certainly fueled by the Taylor Swift of it all, um, that I, oh, you know, is this it? Like time comes for everybody and, and maybe he stuck around for a season too long and he's just lost it. And then... Has he? Probably. But what he still has is an ability to just flip it on in a like Gronk like fashion. Like it's the, you know, the, the there's a reason they're going to go down as sort of like the all time tight ends for like this generation of football players. And that that catch he gets at the end of the fourth quarter to set up that field goal where he doesn't just catch it, but gets like an extra 15 yards. And it's just, where what? How did you? How did you do that? And he is just, okay, like I'm ready to get hit again. Um, like in a way that he just was like unable or, or the team was smart enough to understand. They don't do load. We don't call it load management in football, but it's, it's fundamentally a similar concept of just understanding what your players are capable of and when you need them the most. And like Kelsey turned it on in the playoffs in a way that is clearly a deliberate choice. It's not like he forgot how to be an elite tight end. It's just picking your moments to, to really turn that on. I also wonder if like, it's maybe harder to flip the switch than it used to be. Like the meme that's going around of him screaming at Andy Reid. <laughs> yeah. After shoving him. When I saw that, like when I saw that happen live, like my immediate reaction was like, Oh, he just had to get in that place. Like, and there's, there's some guys who always, they play their whole careers in that zone of like, just like, fever pitch like tightly tightly wound uh emotionally but there's some guys who just like you can't spend an entire game there you can't spend an entire career there and so you have to dial up that like you know in a lot of ways like anger uh you know just like fury to to play to play a position well and i saw that and i was like okay so kelsey's having to dig now and i don't know if that's because like it's harder to extract that performance from an aging declining body in some ways or if that's just an emotional lever he doesn't pull as much anymore but like mm-hmm. my 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 take on my, my my feeling watching it was like he is like part of his surge in these in these closing weeks has been like it counts now in a way it didn't before you could sort of sleepwalk through the season. It didn't matter as much Yep. now that it's, you know, do or die, you know, you don't see him smiling out there anymore. This isn't, this isn't fun. He's, he's, he's going, he's, he's angry uh, whenever he feels like he's not doing something to contribute the team winning. Yeah. Uh, you guys uh, ever see uh, for the love of the game uh, that well, weird Kevin Costner, perfect, uh, oh, perfect great, game. Baseball great movie. It's a good, Good movie. I like it quite a bit. Um, it is uh, at the end where he's just tired. He's like engaged the mechanism and so something he does early in the game. And it's like all the, the crowd quiets and all just falls to the place. And he gets tired and he's, he's pitching a perfect game and it's uh, it doesn't work anymore. And I just I think that's kind of, you know, the quick and dirty metaphor for what happens yeah. to every player, every, especially at the end of the season. Everyone's injured. Everyone's tired. Uh, but I think you're right. Kelsey was at probably at a place earlier in his career where he would just bounce back. And that was something that he could engage on his own. And now in this moment, he's like, well, I need to bring this out from someone. And this is where I'm going to get it from. And clear, I mean, clearly it worked. I mean, Later he, in the he, game, he, he gets the game like seven out. extra yards dragging like, you know, five tacklers with him. He yep. had one catch in the first half for like four yards. He ended with a stat line of 
like nine catches, 93 yards. And that is just now granted that's the offense and the Chiefs figuring it out to some degree. The 49ers having attrition on. Well, he on, hadn't on, threatened on. to beat up Andy by that point. I think that's <laughs> yeah, really got to, like, to call. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to come eat your nuggies. <laughs> uh, well, I can think of maybe perhaps no other place for us to, to, to wind this uh, podcast down, wind down, this NFL well, that's, that's where the writers told us to stop. So exactly. Gotta, it's true. The script writers, I came in yep. and said, this is, this is, this is it. Um, Jeff, I know you're over at giant bomb, but what else do you got going on? Where do you want to point uh, people uh, to? Yeah, I do a couple other uh, podcasts. Uh, uh, Game Mess uh, is is where you can find us on YouTube. Uh, Game Mess Decides and Last of the Nintendogs. Do that with Mike Minotti. I'm doing an episode tonight, actually, still, so you can catch that live. We'll be doing that 9 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, it, there's also a Discord, GameMess.com. Should take you, actually, GameMess.net. That's right. That takes you to the Discord. Come hang out with us. We've got a lot of cool people in there. It's a good time. But other than that, no, just thanks for having me, guys. This is This was a lot of fun. No, this was this was great. We're glad to have another. Uh, I think we've had everyone but a Packers fan on. Rob, we have had a Vikings fan, Cat Bailey. That's fine. We've had <laughs> we've had Jeff Grubhoff <laughs> for a Lions fan. Uh, what's, what's what's Andrew Fister doing these days? <laughs> <laughs> working for Nintendo, and I don't think coming on sports podcasts or video <laughs> game uh, websites. But I'll I'll see what I'll see what I can do. But. Um, uh, thanks for, uh, you know, uh, supporting everything we do over at remapradio.com. If you are a, uh, backer over at remapradio.com, you're getting this early and without ads. Uh, if you're not, you're still getting it. You're just getting a little bit later and also you have ads, but, uh, you can fix that and support. Yes, Rob. There's just one last thing I want to add before we get, before we yeah. end the episode, but go, finish the outro. Uh, but yeah, if you want to support anything we're doing, uh, please head over to remapradio.com so that, um, Rob and I can continue to justify talking about a very exciting Bears offseason um, as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> emergency pod for a Justin Fields trade. <laughs> so I just wanted to add one last thing. I know people were like dying to hear us talk about basketball because we're such experts of the game. Uh, <laughs> but I did just want to call out like Patrick and I were both dismayed, but not surprised that like. Well, actually, this part did surprise me <laughs> that the bear that the Bulls have not done a trade at the trade deadline in like three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bulls just don't like general managing. What's that? They don't do it. <laughs> but Patrick, well, neither you do know the Pistons, this. right? The Pistons are famously uh-huh. bad this season, too, right? Oh, the Pistons famously bad doesn't begin to <laughs> historically like had to pay the un- ultimate price to get the Lions to have a decent season. <laughs> the Marianas Trench of yes. like bad seasons. But Patrick. Yeah. This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. The Bulls are setting attendance records this season. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you're like, again, to that point about like through thick and thin, the nature of fandom, but sometimes it is our very loyalty. That is why things will never get better. (laughs) It's true. But I got to say, you know, I got to say I went to a Bears and a Bulls game uh, this season and um, it's really fun to go to a Bulls game. (laughs) really fun in person i i I brought i went to a bulls game by benny drives you home if you've had too much (laughs) (laughs) i went to a bulls game with a friend went to a bears game with my child and i showed my my child videos of the bulls game and she said can we do that next time i was like Mm -hmm. yeah you're right you're right that's inside there's a benny the bull there's There's loud music there's a t-shirt can they're dropping t-shirts from the ceiling you're right you might not be coming back to a Bears game until they build a stadium down the street from our house. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the next time my seven-year-old ends up at a Bears game. Um, 
But that's gonna that's gonna do it uh, for us here at sports. Uh, we'll be back uh, sometime soon. The the NFL is entering its uh, kind of off season period. The draft is happening in in April. What about um, spring football? <laughs> oh, XFL, UFL. Yeah. The XFL's yeah. done now, right? Is it just the UFL now? What yeah, is they it? merged? They merged. Yeah, yeah, they uh, came together, right? Yeah, yeah. USFL is yeah. Okay, well, Rob, look, it doesn't take me very much. Like, we can do some preseason predictions of the of the of the, of the oh, UFO man. and see just if going we- just going blind and like and, <laughs> and, like you have to place a bet. You're like tw- like twenty five dollars. You have to place a bet on it. Yeah, look, come on. I look, I I may or may not have placed the the, the play for these UFL games are to just bet the under um, because the game oh, like, sure. because the scores are wow, so bad. Um, and and you you might do do it okay, but I I've tr- I've tried multiple years in a row. I get like halfway through a game and realize even I'm not. I'd rather watch a Bears highlight clips more than I want to keep <laughs> watching like the UFL or the the XFL. But this happens every year. I'm going to enter this period where it's not warm enough to go outside and I still want something put on the TV and I'm going to end up watching shitty amateur reject football like I'm watching a pirated video stream. Um, Into the uh, the Alouettes, uh, the, the, are they the Calgary Alouettes or whoever? Like the Canadian Football League. That's where, isn't that where we got our old coach, Rob? Or was that was that a different? Yeah, one? holy shit, Tressman was an Alouette coach. Yes, right. Oh yeah. man, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> and Alouettes. on that note, thanks for listening. As always, fuck capitalism and bear down. <laughs>